Welcome to Pigskin Frenzy on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. I'm Joel Norris, and whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, or listening on Podbean, a big thank you for taking some time out of your Tuesday to watch and listen to some college football coverage covered by me. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like the episode, and leave your thoughts and opinions in the comment section below. If you're listening on Podbean, share around with others, follow the episode, and like the episode, and follow the channel. If you like if you like the show on Spotify and listen to it on there, listen and share it around on Spotify and follow on there as well. We have Facebook and we have Twitter. At Twitter, it's at pigskin underscore frenzy, all lowercase. Follow the page there. Set your notifications for on to get updates for episodes for pigskin frenzy and some news and highlights across college and NFL football. Facebook, same thing. All you have to do is type it in on Facebook, Pigskin Frenzy, share it around with others and like the page, follow the page, and turn your notifications for on to get updates for episodes and get news and highlights for college and NFL football. For today's episode, it's just, you know, basic college football, same stuff going on. We're going to talk about a little bit more about the scheduling changes from last week's episode, but not just particularly the SEC, but Big Ten also, and maybe a little bit, compare it to the Big 12 format and how they do it. Um, we're going to talk about my top 10 coaches, and we're going to end it on that. And we're also going to talk about the future and realignment of college football and what does it mean for you know just the future for everybody in college football now that more realignment is coming. So we're going to dive right just deep into that. We're going to talk about just the scheduling changes first. Now, SEC scheduling changes uh, for other sports have been announced. You're going to think right now, okay, this is a football show. Why are you talking about other sports? This is my, this is what's going to happen. This is my, you know, diving deep into this. So just hang on for a second to, to get to my point. I got, I'm going to have to use the other sports for a second. So a uh, big thank you and shout out to my friend, sports writer and video producer across uh, the state of Mississippi, Noah Crow. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Noah T. Crow. It's all lowercase and interact with him on there. Big thank you and shout out for him for sending me this uh, through uh, via text message on here this uh, earlier this morning. So, the SEC came out with an with uh, some a statement today about scheduling format. For once, Texas and Oklahoma joined the conference in 2024. It's about basketball. It's not about basketball. It's about baseball. Um, it's about volleyball, uh, gymnastics, and other sports. Talking about uh, how they're going to do their format, and how they're scheduling. They decided on it and. The playoff format hadn't been decided, but they decided on their regular season format. So they're decided on that, and they're working on more details as well. Now, football and basketball, I've heard, won't be discussed until May. They're going to get uh, right with basketball season first and get, uh, you know, until that ends, they're going to kick it off in May and then decide, okay, what are we going to do with football and basketball? Because that's going to be a huge topic in the conference. So, I talked about last week on the show about how the SEC had three opponents uh, for permanent opponents for their proposed nine-game schedules. Um, I, I think one's a good idea, but now let's just get into this. This is the Big 12 comparison that I was going to make. You have to do away with divisions. Now, if there's 16 teams, 
you're not going to play everybody in a division, so to speak. For example, yes, while Florida will have Georgia and a South Carolina as two of their three opponents, they have Oklahoma as well on there. You really can't, they're not going to get through to everybody on a nine-game schedule. They're not going to get through to every SEC team. So why as well, so might as well have a why do you have a division, you know? So might as well just do A, no divisions. B, you could have a mini play-in to see who goes to Atlanta in December. Now, I think that's a, a solid idea. Nine-game format, uh, a four-man play-in tournament, uh, four teams play each other, two teams make it out, and those two teams who make it out go into Atlanta and play each other, just like the college football playoffs. Say Alabama, LSU, Georgia, and Texas A&M are the four teams in the play uh, in the little play-in tournament. Those are the top four teams in the conference. Two of those teams, one through four, two through three, just like the college football playoff, they play each other. Those two, you know, two teams make it out of both of those matchups. Then they go to Atlanta and play each other. That's my proposed matchup. I think it'd be a a good idea, you know, to to do something like that because you're not going to get through to everybody in the schedule. Also, a part of the scheduling change, uh, you got to look at the Big Ten and see how they're doing it. They're also doing away with divisions. They have 16 teams coming in now and possibly more if they try to add in Oregon and they try to add in Washington. Now, I mean, you're doing away, like you said, doing away with divisions. USC, UCLA is coming in from the Pac-12, 16 teams. So, essentially, you could have a Ohio State-Michigan rematch in the Big Ten Championship, go back to last year. If they were if there were 16 teams last year, you would have had a Michigan and Ohio State rematch in the Big Ten Championship because there's no divisions. There's no East and West. The only reason why Purdue was in there is because they won the West. They're doing away with all that now. So it's going to be, it could be an Ohio State. They go undefeated. Michigan goes undefeated. One of those two teams loses to the other, but they have the best record. So so someone who loses the game will be number two while the other one will be number one. And they'll be like, okay, that's fine. We'll see you in Indianapolis next week. So it's going to be like, okay, you know, it's no divisions, no team, no, it's just whoever has the best record and whoever is the strength of schedule and strength of resume. Now, speaking of that, of the strength of schedule, my plea with college football is this. We need to have a better strength of schedule. We need to have more credibility and more, you know, the right word, I guess, would be to look for is more, yeah, it's better, 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 a better strong suit, if you will. That's the best word to look for. A better, a better strong suit of how we can get of how we can get to the playoffs. So say if I'm an Oklahoma fan and I'm undefeated in the Big 12, and you have a Ohio State who's also undefeated. They're, and the, the rest of the field's undefeated as well in the four-man playoff. So it's between Ohio State, Oklahoma, going in to the final spot in the playoff, number four spot. Oklahoma has wins over Kansas State, a top-ranked Kansas State team, a top-ranked USC team, a top-ranked, say, Clemson. Ohio State has wins over 
a Furman, has wins over a Liberty that's unranked, and has a win over a unranked Marshall team, and along with other wins from the Big Ten. Now, who should get in? Obviously, by strength of schedule, Oklahoma should get in over Ohio State. That's not knocking Ohio State. It's just the strength of schedule. Now, in reality, Ohio State would probably get in just because of the Big Ten Conference and how uh, that's a, turning into a superpower along with the SEC. Now, the strength of schedule has to play a part in it. Not just the talent that they have on the team, not just the coaching, not just the eye test. The eye test is important, but how are you going to do the eye test if you don't play anybody? You know, if that makes sense, you got to play somebody to have a strong enough view on the eye test. Like, oh, they, this guy, they, they had the total offense for Ohio State was 547 yards over a top ranked USC team. Obviously, they should get in the playoff. That's fair. But you can't really tell by the eye test of, okay, Ohio State played a unranked Marshall team and put up 47 points on them. I mean, that's Marshall has has losses against a an unranked 0-5 Cincinnati team. Now, 1-5, they beat Marshall. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to sit there and say, okay, you have to choose Ohio State over an undefeated Oklahoma team that beat USC, beat Clemson, beat an undefeated Notre Dame team. You know, what I'm, it, it, it's just hard to sit there and, and and say that. You know, so strength of schedule and credibility means everything in college football. In my eyes, the strength of schedule produces the eye test and shows teams, okay, who are they really? You know, I don't want to see. You know, Oklahoma play undefeated Furman team and then make, or an, uh, I'm sorry, an unranked Furman team has seven losses or eight or nine losses on their record and ends up going to the playoff. You know, nothing taken away against these other teams and nothing taken away against Oklahoma. But to get to the playoffs, I would like to see college football teams earn their way to call it, you know, to, uh, to the playoff. Uh, 12 team, four team, doesn't matter. I would like to see them earn their way to it. Now, obviously, the scheduling hadn't really changed for going into the 2023 season. It just came out anyway. So going into 2024, I would say, I would change I would change the way we bring about scheduling. I would change a lot. Here's what I would change, and this is what I'm going into. First game, I would play a strong non-conference team for everybody. I would like to see an Oregon play Wisconsin, you know, both top 15 ranked matchups right there, but, but both in the top 15, Oregon at number eight, say Wisconsin at number 14. You know, I would like to see that matchup. Luke Fickle versus Dan Lanning, that would be an exciting matchup. Um, you have Utah in a rematch against Penn State to open up their season. And uh, again, like uh, I'll give you another matchup that's happening this season. Florida State and LSU is happening again in a rematch. Those are the matchups that need to happen every year for everybody. Um, and Alabama versus Ohio State would be a fun non-conference matchup, and everybody has been clamming for it. Everybody's been wanting to see a rematch. When are they going to play again? You know, set an, an a non-conference opener and a strong one at that for each team to build their resume up. And then 
the non the the conference opponents will play itself. I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of them will be ranked. Now, have a have a have I would say have a couple of strong non-conference openers, and if the conference opponents are ranked, so be it. But have a have a couple of non-conference teams that are ranked and that are strong, incredible, just to have on your resume to say, oh, we just beat an undefeated USC team, or we beat a Clemson team. We beat a we beat an undefeated USC team along with an undefeated LSU team. You know what I'm saying? It builds resumes. It builds credibility for yourself going in to the playoff, and it makes you look good. And it helps with seating also. And it helps you. It helps you. You know, be like okay on the eye test. They just put up 300 total yards on a strong LSU defense. They should be a top team in the uh, in the in the college football playoff. So that's just my take on it. That's my thoughts on it. You can tell me what you guys think uh, by leaving comments down below on YouTube. Okay, going into the more of the realignment talk, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago on Pigskin Frenzy. I mean, it's happening and it's strong and it's ever evolving. Um, I saw an article on ESPN and it was asking, what does it look like the future of college football? What does it look like after realignment? Uh, what does it, what does it mean? The two things I took away from it, and it's kind of just a repeat of what I said a couple of weeks ago. Um, I honestly think we're on our way to a two power two type situation with the big 10 and the sec two super conferences along with other smaller conferences around. Um, the SEC, I think, if the Big Ten keeps expanding, the SEC is going to start branching out and possibly even going to the ACC and seeing what they got over there, potentially trying to poach a Florida State or a Clemson over to the SEC, while the Big Ten's going further out west to try to get an Oregon or a Washington in for their conferences. I think it's turning into a power two type scenario it's turning into a super conference, a battle of super conferences. And it's going to be not just that, it's going to be a recruiting, no pun intended, a, a, a frenzy in recruiting. It's going to be wild. And it's going to be okay. You're going to have talent from everywhere. And it's going to be where do I want to go? Do I want to go to the Big Ten or do I want to go play in the SEC? Now, it's it's going to be one of those things where it's okay. What does this do for us, the ACC, the Big Twelve, and the Pac Twelve? The one conference I kind of feel for the most is the Pac Twelve because they're losing a lot of their their talent. Um, now more expansions coming out. The Big Twelve is trying to get a hold of Colorado. Um, I've been hearing a lot about that. Utah, they said. They said, oh, the Utah's keeping it tight in the Pac-12. They're not – a lot of teams aren't really uh, – conferences aren't really focusing on a Utah right now at this moment. But in the future, I think as they build up, Utah will be a, a central point in going to another conference. The Pac-12 is the one I feel bad for the most. Right now, they're trying to find a solid media deal. Again, I mentioned the Apple TV media deal. That hasn't really gone through an effect yet. It hasn't really uh, been confirmed or denied. That's just the rumors at this time. Uh, that's the leading candidate for a media deal. So they're trying to find the right media deal. But 
as these teams start to dwindle and being pushed away from the Pac-12, what does this mean? Does the Pac-12 go under? Does it have a, a financial, you know, financial crisis? I don't know. I don't really think the Pac-12 will go under anytime soon. I think the Pac-12 will always be there for a little while. I just think the teams that I feel bad for or the conferences that I feel bad for is mainly the Pac-12. I would think the Pac-12 would have to honestly merge with another conference. Um, It's looking like the Big Ten is trying to settle a deal or the Big 12 is trying to settle a deal rather uh, than the Big Ten maybe. And it's trying to find out who can get a merge a deal with them first? Um, it's kind of like a race between the Big Ten and the Big 12 to see who's going to merge with the Pac-12. Um, I could see that possibly happening in the future. Um, it's looking like there's going to be, like I said, a super uh, power, super conference and a war between the two super conferences between the Big Ten, SEC, a power two. Now, there's one, one factor into this, independence. You have BYU and you have Notre Dame. Now, BYU actually just joined the Big 12, so they're out. Let's talk about Notre Dame for a second. BYU just joined the Big 12, so they're in a conference. They're, they decided to jump, jump on the train early. They're in the Big 12. Um, their schedule just got uh, released, and it's a, it's a good, it's a good schedule. going to be a com- very competitive season for BYU starting out in the Big 12. But Notre Dame, uh, they're independent. What's that look like for them? And we're going to talk about more about Notre Dame as Tommy Reese uh, just left for uh, Alabama to take the offensive coordinator job over there. We're going to uh, dive deep later on in the future episodes to see what's going on with Notre Dame and what does it look like and what does this season mean for him, uh, for Marcus Freeman and company. Uh, and and plus, you know, new transfer quarterback Sam Hartman is now there from Wake Forest. Uh, he's in, he's in a Notre Dame uniform this season, so we're going to see what that looks like for them in future episodes. But Notre Dame talking about scheduling, will they join a conference? Those are the two takeaways I got from this article. Um, it could, it could be possibly will they finally join a conference? They've been independent for so long. They sat there and said, no, we don't want to join any conference. We make more revenue off of our TV deal with NBC. We make more revenue just being independent. Will that be a problem going into the future? You would have to think so because there's it's just a war between the Big Ten and the SEC. How is the how is Notre Dame gonna, you know, come into effect? Uh, will they join the ACC to try to build the ACC back up just to make it a three-man race instead of a two-man warfare between the Big Ten and the SEC? I would say Notre Dame is probably the most interesting case in this realignment scenario because the Big Ten wants them, the ACC wants them. Um, I think a lot of teams, I think a lot of conferences will want a Notre Dame. Probably the only team that wouldn't want them would probably be the SEC. However, looking at it, the ACC and the Big Ten both want them. So it's like, oh, you know, that's going to be a strong, strong case for both conferences to try to make to Notre Dame. The Big Ten going after Notre Dame would be, I think, in my thoughts on this is the strongest indication that it would be a power two deal. And it would be a strong indication that this is a football frenzy, a football two man war between the sec and the big 10 and an all out super conference ordeal. Um, it means more money. That's also what it means for the future of college football. It means 
more moves. It means uh, better revenue, better structure for college football. And it it also, and I would say this, it means more means more the transfer portal, and it means more for NIL. I know that a lot of people are thinking, oh, no, Joel, the NIL. Yeah, and you got to bring it up in college football nowadays. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, we may have to regulate NIL, and we, we will get there. I'll talk about that in another episode in the future of regulating NIL. However, you're also going to have to use more of it to the advantage of realignment and of more conferences and as more teams go to other conferences as well. You're also going to have to think about, okay, players are going to transfer. Uh, you're going to think about power, a uh, group of five teams transfer into, okay, we, I want to go to the big 10. Now, a lot of teams are in the big 10. I want to go there. Oh, the SEC's there. I want to go to an Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Florida, uh, an LSU and Alabama. They're going to look at all that and players are going to see that and think, okay, I'm going to want to go there and play. Um, a lot more transfer portal and a lot more revenue and a lot more NIL money for both uh, for both conferences, both play, all players and all of college football in general. You're going to have to look at that and see that and not take note of that. I mean, because I think the transfer portal along with the two-man group, uh, the two-man conferences between the Big Ten and the SEC – the NIL and transfer portal are the future of college football when it comes when it comes to after realignment and what does the future of football and college football in general look like. So that's my thoughts on the future and what the future holds for the college football after realignment. I think it's just going to be more transfer portal, more revenue in general, more money involved in games. Uh, another point I could bring before I end this is more rule changes to the game. Uh, we talked about there's there were some articles about how the NCAA changed some of the rules to make uh, the game a little bit faster. I think we can see more of that. More rules, uh, more officiating reviews are going to come into play here. I would think that that would be a huge part of the game coming in after realigning a lot of the conferences and a lot of the teams and a lot of the structure of college football. So um, those are my thoughts and, and how I view the future of where college football is headed after the realignment. So uh, last but not least, we have an article of, we have an article that um, Bruce Fieldman from the athletic came out with and shout out to him. He's a, uh, I mean, go and read his stuff. I mean, big time college football reporter, um, for the athletic, he came out with an article of top 10 college football coaches currently. Um, and he had Nick Saban at one, Kirby Smart at two, Dabo Swinney at three, Jim Harwell at four, uh, James Franklin from Penn State at five, uh, Ryan Day from Ohio State at six, Lincoln Riley from USC at seven, Brian Kelly from LSU at eight. He had Kyle Whittingham. From, US, uh, from Utah at 9, and then he had Lance Leopold from Kansas at 10. A strong list, and I agree with the majority of it. Um, however, I have my own list, and I was going to try to tweak it a little bit and give you my thoughts of how I view the top 10 in, of co college football coaches going into this season and currently right now. So <clears throat> kicking it off, we have number one, Obviously, this is going to be a no-brainer. Uh, Alabama head Alabama head coach Nick Saban. Um, he's the greatest coach to ever do it. There's no 
arguing or no debating that, recruiting, juggernaut. Um, he knows what he's doing in games. Obviously, he's just going to keep going and keep getting, uh, keep adapting and keep getting better and establishing his legacy as a coach for Alabama before he uh, calls it, ends up retiring, calls it a day. So I would say Nick Saban, number one. Also, a no-brainer here for me, Kirby Smart's number two. What he's doing at Georgia, uh, back-to-back national championships there. Uh, he's already has multiple uh, college ball playoff appearances. Uh, Georgia right now is turning into Alabama East in the SEC. They're, in, 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 they're turning into Alabama in general in college football. I mean, they've been out for this flat out dominant uh this past season and have shown comparisons for the past two seasons to Alabama like, hey, you know, they're coming. A lot of a lot of predictions this season have been Georgia making it to the national championship again and beating Michigan and three peating in Houston this year. So that's very interesting to see uh w- what could happen there. And not just that, they're talking about Georgia doing what Alabama couldn't do. Uh, like I like I said, th- that's three-peating. Is Alabama went back-to-back 2011 and 2012. They were talking about them three-peating. However, Auburn stopped that run. Auburn went to the national championship and unfortunately taking a loss to Jimbo Fisher, the then Florida State head coach, uh, and won the national championship against Jameis Winston and company. But Georgia, number two, uh, Kirby Smart with Georgia, number two, as the top 10 college football head coach on my list, you know, number two on my list. Number three, Dabo Sweeney. Uh, I would say that's another no-brainer for me. What he's done at Clemson is uh, not not to be denied. Um, he is a multiple national championship head coach winner, won multiple championships there, uh, coach of the year winner there. He has done a lot for that program, and he's built that program into a uh, notable powerhouse um Clemson is a team that always ha- always gets good recruits now um they're always in the conversation for the playoff um and it's all it's all credit to Dabo Sweeney um they he recruits well I mean there's no denying that Dabo Sweeney in my eyes is the number three coach in college football Moving on to number four, we have Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Jim Harbaugh at number four for me, I would say what he's done the past two years at Michigan has been um, quite frankly impressive. And I would say I would I would say it would be him at number four. But before I thought about this list, I was debating whether I would put Jim Harbaugh up there or put Ryan Day up there. I would say right now. Jim Harbaugh has the edge as the fourth best coach in college football currently. Because I'm not talking about uh, over the past few years. I'm talking about currently right now. Currently right now, I would say Jim Harbaugh is number four up there. And what he's done for Michigan the past couple of seasons has been uh, has been not to be taken lightly. He has obviously found his groove up there, and he has built something there. He He's got J.J. McCarthy a top quarterback in the college football world coming back. He's got two good running backs in Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards coming back. They got the best running back duo in college football. He's got a lot, a lot of offensive weapons coming back, including some weapons off of defense. So Michigan will be in it. I think Michigan's going to be a team to, you know, okay, they're back in it. Don't 
overlook them. Obviously, they're going to be a top team for sure in 2023. Now, number five, we have Ryan Day from Ohio State. While they do lose a little bit, they uh, with C.J. Stroud and some weapons off defense, they still have the best wide receiver in the game in Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, and that's all thanks to Ryan Day. Ryan Day recruits well. He uh, preaches a good message once uh, once it comes to game planning and once, it and once it comes to executing. Ryan Day knows what to do. So Ryan Day is a solid coach. Um, he's no longer calling the plays on offense, so... They have an offensive coordinator there. Let's see what happens there. Um, let's see what happens uh, when Ryan Day's not calling the plays. And let's see what happens with Ohio State going forward. And let's see uh, over there, because that's going to be an interesting, interesting uh, thing right there for Ohio State and Ryan Day. I have Ryan Day at five. Um, at number six, I would have Brian Kelly from LSU. Brian Kelly and what he has done in his first season at LSU is, I mean, it's hard to think. A lot of people had LSU finishing five or six in in the West for SEC. They finished number one. They were co-champions with Alabama, ended up going to the SEC championship after beating Alabama and having and have her and having good wins against Ole Miss and Florida. Um they had a good stretch there. Unfortunately, a couple of losses against Texas A&M and Georgia didn't do them any favors to win the SEC. But I mean, Georgia—a lot of people aren't. A lot of people are going to be at Georgia last year. The only team that came really close to beating Georgia last year was an Ohio State. So, I mean, LSU had a strong run, and they're going to be loaded this year going into spring. They return arguably, arguably the best college football player on defense in Harold Perkins Jr. Um, and Harold Perkins is probably going to be the best defensive player in the SEC. But, I mean, it's it's easy to say that he could probably be one of the best defensive players in college football, if not the best defensive player in college football. You have a loaded quarterback room with Jaden Daniels and uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, who did solid uh, for that team last year. Um, Garrett Nussmeyer had an impressive showing. He had an impressive showing for Georgia in the SEC championship last year. So Brian Kelly led them to a strong season, strong finish, Citrus Bowl win over Purdue, dominant performance for LSU there. It's all thanks to Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly has changed the complexion and he's changed the mold there for, for LSU. So I would say Brian Kelly is number six there uh, for LSU, and he is a number six coach currently in college football. Um, number seven would probably be Lincoln Riley from USC. Again, what he did at USC his first season is not to be denied. Caleb Williams won his first Heisman, uh, and he won a Heisman Trophy for USC. It was the first Heisman Trophy winner for USC in a while, actually. So, um, But no, notoriously, USC has a lot of Heisman winners. Lincoln Riley also has a a lot of Heisman winners. It adds up. Um, they were trying to go for a playoff run. Unfortunately, they lost the Pac-12 championship, didn't make the playoffs. They made a New Year's Six Bowl to the Cotton Bowl. First season led them to a New Year's Six Bowl to the Cotton Bowl. Um, it didn't work out in their favor also, and that Tulane ends up winning the Cotton Bowl against them. But, I mean, it was a strong season for Lincoln, Riley, and USC. They have all their uh, – majority – I wouldn't say all their players, but majority of their players are coming back. They're having an excellent spring. Uh, USC is going to look to be in the fold 
in his second season as USC head coach. So right now, Lincoln Riley at seven is a a good spot right there for him. Oh, uh, I would say number eight for me would be James Franklin for Penn State. I would say James Franklin has had a last few years has had a, a good few years for Penn State. Uh, Sean Clifford is gone, uh, but they have Drew Aller, their new quarter redshirt freshman quarterback, uh, coming in for them this year. Uh, he he looks in, he's looking impressive in the spring right now. He is looking like he's going to be the obvious starting quarterback come fall. Penn State looks like they're going to be back on it again, uh, trying to compete with Michigan and Ohio State in uh, the Big Ten to try to reach the Big Ten championship to win it. Um, they look they had a good. Rose Bowl win over Utah. Good season for them. Um, James Franklin has looked solid as a coach, executing uh, and helping Penn State executing their game plan at all cylinders. I have James Franklin at eight as a top 10 coach there. Number nine, uh, the the coach that he beat in the Rose Bowl, James Franklin beat in the Rose Bowl, was Kyle Whittingham from Utah. That's who I have at nine. Uh, Kyle Whittingham, a, a phenomenal coach for Utah. He's been there for a while. He's going to retire there, I assume. Y- Utah has been a uh, Pac-12 juggernaut and the team to beat in the conference. Um, Kyle Whittingham has, did not be denied executing at all centers. He recruits well. He has a good quarterback coming back in Cam Rising. Um, he, al- Although he is hurt with an ACL injury, I would assume that Ky- uh, Kyle Whittingham will you know, try to find a way to get things done. We'll keep checking on Cam Rising to see where he's at come fall. And if not, uh, we'll, he'll have a backup plan ready for there. Uh, Cam Rising should be ready by fall, but if not, he'll, he's really, he's ready to execute his backup plan there. Kyle Whittingham, uh, strong offensive coach, uh, as well as an all well-rounded defensive coach as well. Kyle Whittingham knows what he's doing. Utah is, and sensation has been sensational in the Pac-12, all thanks to him. So I would say Kyle Whittingham at number nine. He is a, a strong coach, and he is a top 10 coach in my eyes, nonetheless. Number 10 to round it out, and I was thinking about this for a little bit, and while Lance Leopold has made a good argument um, for the 10th the spot, I'm going to have to bump him out. And I'm going to have to put number 10, Josh Heupel, in there from Tennessee. Josh Heupel's had a uh, solid run as Tennessee's coach so far. While they made it to the Music City Bowl, uh, they're his first year. His second year was to not be denied. Um, he was number one for a little bit in the rankings. And he was the uh, in the first week of the rankings of the college football, he was playoff. Uh, he was number one there as well. Unfortunately, that ended after a loss to Georgia. But he ended up uh, bouncing back. He had two losses on his record. He was an 11-2 team this year, won the Orange Bowl. They had wins over Alabama, Florida, uh, LSU, and they had strong wins this year. Also, you include that win column against Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Tennessee looks solid, and they're going to continue to look solid. And it's all thanks to Josh Heupel. They were an offensive juggernaut, number one in college in uh, offensive efficiency this year, and number one in scoring 
last year uh, with Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt, and Cedric Tillman. While all those guys are gone now, they still have quarterback Joe Milton, who is uh, developing nicely under Josh Heupel's scheme. So he's going to play this year and be their starting quarterback. So we're going to see uh, what they do going into the college football season uh, coming up there uh, in 2023, Josh Heupel at number 10. That's who I have for my list of uh, top 10 coaches currently in college football. Tell me what you guys think on YouTube and leave a comment there and also comment on Spotify and YouTube. That's all we have for uh, today. A uh, big thank you for tuning in and listening here on Pigskin Frenzy. We'll have more NFL coverage, uh, free agency, and uh, big moves happening in the NFL. We'll have all that for you on Thursday. Uh, subscribe to the channel on YouTube. Like the episode and leave a comment below. Also, follow, share around with others on Podbean. Follow the channel and share around with others on Spotify. Like the episode on each. Um, we have Twitter. We have Facebook at Payskin underscore Frenzy on Twitter. Follow the page. Uh, set your notifications on for updates and news on there. Facebook, same thing. Follow the page there. Set the notifications for on as uh, for news and updates as well on Facebook. Big thank you for listening and joining us here today on Pigskin Frenzy. I'm Joel Norris signing off, and we will see you on another edition of Pigskin Frenzy coming up. Thursday.